Hi, and welcome to another episode of Pivotal Moment. I have missed you guys. I am your host, Nikita Fawcett, and we are growing. Thank you, Amazon Music, and thank you, Pandora, for welcoming Pivotal Moment to your platforms. And also, you can still find us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Listen and download, and please share and follow us wherever you find us. 2021 is on. Today, in the spirit of growth and continuing to build, we're talking with entrepreneurs, extraordinaires is what I call them. Fred Mwangahunga is one of them, an exceptional uh, former corporate lawyer, tax attorney from Wall Street, who turned his desire to be an entrepreneur into a reality. He's the founder and CEO of Media Takeout, the number one source for African-American news. He is here today to tell you how to make your idea your reality for your business in 2021 and years to come. So today we are going to talk with Fred about how he has maintained such visibility for his brand, for his company. They've been in Vogue, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, CNN, Black Enterprise, and he is going to share with us some of those secrets to success, especially for those entrepreneurs that are out there listening who may want to take advantage of the opportunities now or later or that big idea you've yet to do. So let me start with the tax attorney background, which is still incredible that you left Wall Street and all of that for your own thing. So talk about that because you said earlier, Fred, that you always knew it was temporary in terms of being a lawyer on Wall Street. You knew that that was temporary. Tell me why. Yeah, so I went to law school and business school um, and part of the reason why I went there is because kind of the inertia of my life took me there. So I never really felt that that was a choice to go on to law school or business school. I, when I graduated from high school, I ended up going to John Jay College, which has a strong um, pre-law program, and I did pretty well in college. And then it just kind of seemed like the next logical step in my life would be to go on to law school, and so that's what I did. And when I was in law school, I realized that maybe, you know, I wanted to increase my, the amount of flexibility I had career-wise. So I had the opportunity to get an, an MBA also. So that's what I did. So I got a JD and MBA. But, you know, those, a lot of those decisions weren't me kind of proactively saying, this is what I want to do with my life. It was kind of the inertia of my life mm. and kind of the circumstances I was in. I was just taking advantage of the circumstances that I was in to kind of punt on the idea of what I wanted to do when I, um, in, with my career and just kind of increase the flexibility around me. So when I, when I went to Wall Street, I felt like that was kind of um, the, con- the continuation of this kind of role or, or kind of taking advantage or, or creating as much flexibility in my future career path as possible. So when I went to law school, I mean, so I went to, when I went to, to, to work on Wall Street, really prestigious firm you know I got paid really well there but it wasn't really the career choice that I've I'd always envisioned for myself I was considered myself or for a long time I've considered myself an entrepreneur but I wasn't kind of I wasn't operating as an entrepreneur I was right. operating as a student I was right. operating as a lawyer for another for a big company mm-hmm. um, and so eventually I kind of you know I, I, I had to kind of had a uh, you know a a realization that I had to take control over my own future, my future career, yeah. um, and make that jump. And that's what I did. That is a pretty big jump. Um, but let's talk about the skills that you transferred or perhaps even 
that evolved as a result of your law school, um, your business training, that acumen to be organized in this business setting, how that transferred into this, your next venture, which I believe was Laundry Spa was your very first company. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. The first company I started out of law school, uh, out of, sorry, out of being a lawyer was uh, laundry service, an online laundry service called The Laundry Spa. And then that was a part of the celebrity uh, perspective that you gained in terms of how to use it to the business's advantage, right? Because you worked with J-Lo, Mariah Carey, Beyonce, Victoria's Secret Fashion Show. So how did that, because I want to make the leap to where you are at MTO, but working with that celebrity element how did that factor into your mindset and what you were going to do next? Well, and, and I think you said it exactly right, right? Like this is the way I see my kind of, kind of my entrepreneurship has been a journey, an entrepreneurial journey where everything kind of builds or builds on top of what came before it. So when I started the laundry spa, we started the laundry service and we wanted to get as many customers as we could. And so we tried a bunch of things. We tried a bunch of promotions. We tried advertising. Um, and one of the things that was probably the most effective in getting customers is by getting celebrity endorsements. And some of that came by accident. We had a friend of a friend that knew a couple of celebrities, um, and they started using our service. And then it got written up in the papers, and more celebrities started using our service, and it got written up again. Um, and we ended up eventually, like you said, getting a bunch of celebrity clients. We had um, Mariah Carey, uh, J-Lo, uh, Beyonce. Um, so we had a ton of celebrity clients that, that were there. And so that was kind of my first kind of introduction to the power of celebrity. I think that that is so um, impressive, but also encouraging for people out there who are trying to figure out, like, how do I take this idea, you know, and attach something to it so that it makes a difference, so that it gets me to where I want to be. And so how do, because you've been in this field in the entrepreneurial space for a moment, how do you take, for those who are listening and have this idea, how do you get from idea to implementation to rock star? <laughs> because you're all over the map now. So, so just walk us through, or maybe just tell us what the most important first step is to that. How's that? Um, well, I think the most step is coming up with a plan that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times, especially as entrepreneurs, we, we come up with a plan, but the plan is a lot of times rooted in something that we always wanted to do. So maybe you always wanted to be a singer, so then you said, hey, I'm going to create a singing business. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, so it, but that's not necessarily grounded in, you know, the, the plan doesn't necessarily make sense. It makes sense to the extent that it helps you, you know, live out your, your dream, but it might not necessarily make sense for the market. And so when I always, every business that I applied or that I started, I started from the perspective of, I want to take advantage of a market opportunity and not so much what I wanted to do. There are plenty of things that I wanted to do in life, but you have to kind of put that in the, put that to the side because I'm judging the market, what the market wants and not necessarily what Fred wants. So when I started the laundry service, sometimes people look at, wow, you have all these random businesses, right? Like you started um, the first company that I worked for was a telecommunications startup, and then you started, and then you you started a laundry service, and now you're um, running a media company. There doesn't seem to be anything, you know, that ties those three businesses together. How how do you go from one to the other to the other? And the 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 answer is that I I saw a market opportunity in the laundry service industry, and I took advantage of it. And when I started media takeout, I saw a market opportunity 
in the media space, particularly with African-American media, and I took advantage of that too. So it wasn't about what I wanted to do. It was what, what, what market opportunities are available and which opportunities that you or you, the skill sets that you have that you think you can take advantage of. I mean, I think right now is a great time. Um, I mean, obviously, it's not a great time with, you know, all uh, COVID-19, but there are tremendous market opportunities out there right now um, that I'm sure that your audience could be able to take advantage of. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I really think that's a, um, that's a really smart way of thinking about things, Fred, in terms of industry first, not me first, because that's going to lead you to that next opportunity as it has worked for you. So you founded MTO, Media Takeout, and based on your background, your success, you could have probably gone into any kind of business and found uh, success and, and clients and space in this global market, but you chose online news specifically and around black culture. Why that particular business? Well, I think there was sort of two two different pieces of knowledge. Like I said before, I think mm-hmm. everything that I did is a function of kind of what happened before. So in the, the two businesses that I had run before, I learned two valuable things. Um, one was that um, blogs, which at the time, I mean, right now, you know, people that are listening to this are like, wow, you know, blogs have been around for a long time and, you know, they're incredibly popular and it's kind of obvious to people. But 15 years ago when I started Media Takeout, blogs were just starting to come about. And the idea of, you know, um, telling news in kind of a blog form really was a brand new concept to a lot of people. And, and the majority of people, particularly people in the entertainment industry or, or in media, didn't really believe that you could create a sustainable business model with a blog. And so they just basically ignored it, ignored the entire genre. But I had seen that it was growing. We, while we were working with the laundry spot, we were advertising on blogs. We saw the growth. We saw how much money, by, in terms of the ad dollars that we were giving them and that they were demanding, I saw the growth in the industry. So whereas the majority of people in media were unable to see the growth of blogs or were unwilling to see uh, willing to accept the, the growth of blogs, I was kind of there on ground zero and I actually saw it. So for me, I, I learned, you know, so when I eventually sold the laundry business and I was looking for a new venture to get into, I was like, I got to get into blogs because I saw the growth in the industries. And as far as choosing to go African-American or others, um, and, and what I told you before, we got a ton of press, particularly for having a lot of celebrity clients, um, with the laundry service. We got written up in Vogue, and we got written up in New York Times, sorry, not the New York Times, but New York Post, and, mm-hmm. and the other news, which are the local newspapers in New York. Um, we were on TV. Uh, and we got, you know, whenever you, you get, you know, you, you have your business in the newspaper or on TV, you have all kinds of people call you up and say, wow, we're so, you know, we saw you on TV, your business is doing so great. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a proud moment for you. Um, but we also got written up in black enterprise and at the time we weren't even, we didn't necessarily know, right? Like we were like, okay, we were written up in the New York post and then the daily news and all these local, these pretty big local newspapers. Um, we didn't rec- we didn't fully appreciate what it would mean to get a write up in black enterprise. But when we got that write up, you know, while we got congratulations from people for the other stuff, yeah. it was like miles different. So whereas maybe you got like a couple of like Facebook posts, yeah. you know, Facebook messages from, from the New York Post or the Daily News, we got literally hundreds 
from Black Enterprise. It seems like every black person that we ever met saw us in Black Enterprise. You gotta love Black Enterprise. They were saying it's that, the place. It's the right. <laughs> You know, it's everything. And it wasn't like they were just saying congratulations. There were people that saying, I want to invest in your business. Oh, that's um, awesome. People offering business advice. People saying that they want to quit their job and come work for us. It was amazing the response that we got. And, you know, it, it, it really just kind of, because we were, when we started the laundry, spot, the laundry service, we just didn't really understand. I mean, we, you, I, I'm black. My wife, who was my partner at the time, um, is black too. So we're, we're black people, right? But, but we didn't really understand, you know, the power of our community. Mm. But after that, when we saw the response that we got from that black enterprise yes. piece, we both said, whatever business we start next, yes. we are going to take advantage of, we're going to look to focus on the African-American community because they are so hungry for a, we are so hungry to to see yes. successful businesses that we're willing to support. You know, you always hear people say, "Oh, black people don't support businesses." Whatever. We support our businesses, but if the businesses are doing well and serving us properly, we'll support them. So that was kind of the 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 the, the culmination of those two things um, made it obvious to me that I was one going to go into the blog space and two. I was going to go in the blog space and um, create a blog particularly aimed at um, serving a market, serving the African-American community market. I love that you made that decision because we do want, need, and thrive off of content and businesses that support us. I think that's so important. And another thing, because of that moment, and I think you said uh, it kind of changed the direction of everything. It's, it's a game changer, if you will. And so this show is called Pivotal Moment, about the moment that changed it all. Would you say that that was your moment that really changed the whole trajectory or was it something else? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, especially looking back in, at at, um, at the laundry spa, mm -hmm. and there were a lot of great things that happened to us there. We had a great exit from the company. Um, after selling it, we had, like I said, we got a lot of great celebrity clients. We did the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show. So there's a lot of like highlights in that kind of space. But the point that sticks out most to me was after getting featured in Black Enterprise, the response of the public. That, that, that meant more to me than anything else that we ever did at that business. And it was precisely what was, that pushed me um, and my wife to start Media Takeout, right? Like our main competitors at the time were BET, right? A gigantic brand, Essence, gigantic. These are multi-billion dollar companies that were going to be our competitors. And so they had a ton of, of uh, reasons why they had advantages over us, right? They, were, they had more money. They had large, larger staffs. Um, they had history. They had better brand recognition, right? There were, there were millions of reasons why they should have beaten us in that space. But if I focused only on those things, mm -hmm. then I wouldn't have even entered the arena. So what I, I, I t decided to do instead is say, okay, well, while they have the, all these advantages over us, are there places where we, being a smaller company, a right. startup company, mm -hmm. um, have advantages over them? And sure. the places where we did have it is, one, I think we, we understood where um, 
the blogosphere or the the, the industry was going mm-hmm. better than I think a lot of the people there. And two, like you said, we had the ability to quickly respond to the market. So we were because we were smaller, we were just a lot more agile. When decisions needed to be made about changing direction of the company, we were able to make those decisions in minutes or hours or days. Whereas, you know, in a company like Essence or BT, the billion dollars company, mm-hmm. layers of management, right? Like someone has to come up with the idea, they have to pitch it in the meeting, it has to move up the chain of command, it has to get all the way up to, you know, senior management, and then they have to decide, and they have to put together a team to make the change. And, you know, it could take months for any real um, change in, in, uh, in, the, in any line of business in a big company like that. Whereas as a small company, we were able to make the changes quickly, right? Like if we yeah. decided that people are less interested in uh, Mary J. Blige and more interested in Beyonce, we can make that decision fairly quickly over the course of, you know, an afternoon. Whereas it could take them, you know, months to come up with that, to, to, to make the decision to change kind of editorial direction. And so that's part of what we took advantage of then. Um, and that's a lot of what we do. I mean, we, while we've grown as a company, we still tried to maintain um, a relatively small and open um, um, culture here where we could still make those decisions pretty quickly. So in that same vein, how do you manage to stay as relevant as you are and as popular as you are with the audiences that you have and, and as they are growing? Like staying ahead of the competition, everybody says like the black TMZ, but you are in your own lane, your own space, your own uh, spotlight, if you will. But staying in that spotlight takes work and it takes, uh, it's a process, I would imagine. How do you do that? How have you been able to do it? Um, I think that that's a really, really good question because a lot of times people wonder, you know, I think that that comes, that, that hits the essence of what it means to be an entrepreneur. The way that I see entrepreneurship, um, whether it's me running the takeout, whether it's, you know, um, Mark Zuckerberg running Facebook or whether it's, you know, the guy that runs a fruit stand um, on the side of the highway. It's all the same thing. At the end of the day, what you are really trying to do is you're trying to please your customer. You're trying to make your customer right. um, appreciate what you're offering them, Absolutely. right? Because they have plenty of, op- plenty of choices, plenty of right? There's plenty of other right. food stands on the corner. Yep. There's plenty of other, you know, websites to go to. There's plenty of other social media so what you have to do, if you have to wake up every single day and spend as much of your moment, as much of your time and your, your thought and your intellectual capital trying to figure out ways to please your customer more. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you're pleasing your customer today is great, but you have to always think, how can I please them more tomorrow? And you have, that has to be ingrained in your mindset all the way through. And that has to be the number one thing that is driving you going forward. Mm-hmm. It has to be more important to you then making the most money has to be more important than you to being happy with or fulfilled or any of the other things that you hear people talk about. What entrepreneurship is about is about keeping your customer happy and finding new ways to serve your customer. And so long as you keep that in your mindset and you're always thinking like that, you're all, you're continuing to kind of operate like that. um, I think you'll do fine. So what does that mean from a practical standpoint? If you're, if you have your mindset like that, what does that mean? Well, that means you're trying to, you're constantly trying to get out of the role of, or, or kind of move yourself out of the role of, you know, Fred, the head of the company, and try and think of yourself as Fred, the consumer, 
that is a media takeout reader. What is it that they want? What is it that they like? What is it that they want more of? What is it? How can I make them have a better experience? How can I make them, you know, and, and that is the end. That is what you're, you know, that, that's what drives what, what um, in business terms is called top line growth, right? Like that, there, there's all other kinds of other things you have to worry about, right? Like you have to worry about um, keeping your costs under control, managing your employees, all that other stuff. But your most important thing that you have to do is continue to grow top line. So for us, it's continue to grow leadership. Um, for other companies, it, it, it could be something else. But you're, at the end of the day, that's what you do. That's what every single day you think about. And so, you know, when I wake up in the morning in my job, you know, after 14 years, it's, you know, the, the, I'm no longer, I've, I've kind of handed off um, all the editorial stuff yeah. to other people at the company. What my job is every day is to wake up in the morning and figure out how can I, six months from now, make the people like me to take out even better? How can I, a year from now, make them, yeah. That is, that's my job. That's what, when I get up in the morning, that's what I do when I go into work. That's what I spend all day doing. When I'm sitting in thought, thinking, um, that's what I'm usually thinking about. And that's when you, when you just accept that. And I think that for a lot of entrepreneurs, that's not the reason why they went into entrepreneurship. They maybe went into entrepreneurship because they were like, I don't want to have a boss yeah. or they went into entrepreneurship because they said, I don't, you know, I don't like people telling me what to do. Or they went to entrepreneurship because they said, I want to make more money. Or they went to entrepreneurship and saying, I want to, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you can go into it. And which is fine. You know, there, there are a lot of drivers drive you into this. But once you've committed that this is what you want to do, you have to accept, and it's a hard thing to accept for a lot of people, that it's really not about you. It's really not about how much fun you have or whether you like it or not. It's really not about how much money you make or how much you know, money you lose. It really is about if you're going to be successful and you're going to be in the long term, it really is about how can you continue to provide more and better for your customers. Mm. That is a good, good vantage point and really likely the one that makes the most difference, as you're saying. And so I want to ask, because you mentioned getting up in the morning and wanting to please your customers, making sure that they are satisfied. How do you keep your finger on the pulse of what that satisfaction is? Meaning, what are you reading? What media are you consuming? How are you how are you ascertaining what the needs are on a daily basis so that six months out a year from now you can say, Hey, you know what? My customers need more of this, less of this, and this is how we're going to do it. Like, what do you do? That's, that's the hard part, right? Because, and that's <laughs> yeah. why the job is, that's, that's why the job is so hard, right? Yeah. That's why it doesn't take two hours to do it or whatever. That's yeah. why I work, you know, 12 or 14 hour days yeah. because that's what I'll do. So as far as what I'll consume, I'll try and consume it all. I'll try and consume as much as I can. But then as, as I'm reading it, I'm, I'm trying to read it with the, from the perspective of trying to understand what it is that, that what, does, what does this article that I read tell me about, you know, how to make the people like me to take out more, right? So you can read an article, for example, let's say I'm reading an article about the changes in the, um, in the online ad industry, right? And that there, there's a ton of good information that you can get in, out of that article. But if you kind of look at it from the perspective, you can say, okay, yeah, they're talking about all these different these new ad units that are coming out, and they're talking about, you know, um, all these new places to purchase ads or whatever, which is fine and which is great and which is, is interesting, which is um, 
something that you have to do in this in, in this industry that I'm in. But if you look at it from the, the, the consumer standpoint, you might say, okay, well, yes, I'm looking at what ad units are out there, but are there particular ad units that maybe the people will like more than other ad units, right? And that might not have anything to do with what the article is, right? The article is just telling you the different ad units and where the industry is going. But you can say, well, you know, our people or, or our readers tend to, to like this ad unit better than the other ad unit. So maybe the market is going in this place, right, and which, which is the article, what the, the intention of the article, telling you the direction of the, the ad market. But because, I, because I've seen that our readers are looking at um, or, or, or like this ad better, mm-hmm. maybe I should try and just focus on the pieces of the article that are talking about that particular ad unit. Maybe that takes me to another article, but it's like about those, those ideas. Yeah. So it, it's, it's all really about just changing your perspective when you're consuming all of this information. And because of the internet, obviously there's tons of articles out there. There's tons of books. I'm, I read uh, a lot of books. And you're, but if you're, if you're constantly coming back to that one kind of core yeah. uh, tenant of entrepreneurship, and you kind of you've internalized it so that it's you can't read an article without thinking that way. Um, then you start to really develop insight into your audience. What uh, speaking of of things that you consume, things that you read, what's the most important book that you've read that has impacted where you are? Hmm. I think the books that have impacted me the most are. Uh, autobiographies written by um, other entrepreneurs. Mm. So there's a a bunch of great ones, right? Like there's, um, Russell Simmons has a great one. Um, Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, has a great one. Um, There's one about, uh, written by uh, uh, Commodore Vanderbilt, who um, back in the uh, 19th century, which I think that one has really helped me. So there, and and what you do is you as you read them right like obviously if you're you're reading a, an autobiography by Commodore Vanderbilt right who started off um, um, as in the, as a shipper right like he he shipped people and and things on on sea and eventually he transitioned over to railroads and you wonder well what does that have to do with media yeah. But you find that, you know, along the way, he talks about, you know, he, he started with a single ferry and then he turned into, you know, probably the richest man in history, right? So there's a lot of pieces that go, uh, go that went along there, right? Like, how does he get from one ferry to two ferries? How does he get from yeah. two ferries to ten ferries? How does he get from ten ferries? How does, and then you, you have kind of the big transition, right, where you are a wealthy man or he was a wealthy man mm-hmm. with an incredible shipping business. And he sold it all and turned in, into, and, and went into railroads, right? And, and I think he went to railroads when he was in his 50s or 60s and then turned into to, to, to monopolized railroads. So there are all kinds of stages in his life yeah. that you can gain insight to, right? Like you can gain insight if you're, if you're at the point in your life where you're like, okay, well, I want to make a transition from mm-hmm. you know, one business to another. How do I do that? Right? Well, Commodore Vanderbilt tells you how he did it, right? And he'll explain <laughs> step by step everything that he did. Yeah, this is what he did, and this is what happened when he tried to do this, and this is what other people did, this is what his competitors did when he did this, and this is how he was able to enter the market. So there, there's all this insight that's there, and the great thing about this insight is it's actually coming from the person who's in yes. the situation, right. and not it's not only coming from the person that was in the situation, mm-hmm. 
person. It's coming from a person that was in the situation and ended up winning, right? So it's like, you know, you're not reading the article. I love that. Yeah. You're not just reading a, you know, what somebody thinks to yes. do. This is what somebody yes. in fact did. Yes. And this is somebody that in fact did it and in fact won. So, awesome. you know, a lot of times when you're taking advice from people, I think it's important to take advice from people that actually not just were in the situation, but won. That's but came out of the situation and oh, won the situation, yes. right? Amen. You know, a lot of people could have been in the situation. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to necessarily turn out the way they did, right? So, Maybe that's not the best advice. So, oh, so speaking right. of, what is the best advice you've ever gotten and who gave it to you? Um, I've gotten a bunch of good advice. I think one piece of advice that I got, and this is, partic- this is pretty um, specific advice. It's advice that I think it may not... It may be specific to the industry I'm in, so I'll caveat it that. But there was um, a, uh, a good friend of mine. He ran a, a um, an African American media company, and um, his his African American media company was growing very quickly. And when you're, what happens a lot of times is when your company starts growing quick, growing quickly, a lot of people come to you and they want to invest. So they'll say, "Hey, you know, I want to." invest in your company. I have all these millions of dollars I can give you to help you grow your business. And it's very tempting at that point to take that investment. So what he did at the time is he was, he was faced with, um, he wanted to grow the business and he had tons of people that were willing to invest in his company. And so that person, um, they had a choice. They could have brought in a bunch of equity investors or people that wanted to take percentages of the company Mm -hmm. in return for the money. But that would mean that he wouldn't have 100% ownership of the company anymore. He'd have partners. And then he was also given an offer uh, from a bank that said, hey, we'll give you a loan. You can keep 100% of your company. You just have to pay us back interest payments every month until you pay off this this loan. Sure. Uh So that was was kind of his his two choices. And he chose to take the bank's money because he was like, what I I don't want to do is I don't want to have partners. I worked so hard to get hundred percent of this company. I want to make sure in control. I don't want to have people telling me what to do. I'll just take the bank's money and then I'll pay them back. And then when, once I pay them back, I'll have grown this company and I won't have enough. So own hundred percent of the company. That was his thought process. And so that was his situation. And I found myself very much in a very similar situation a lot of years later. So in his situation, he chose the bank's money. It went terribly wrong. The oh, industry changed no, on no. him. And he ended up losing his business <gasps> to the bank. Oh, my gosh. That's the worst. So he, <sighs> so he told me, you know, really, really maybe about a, a couple of years into the business, when we were just starting to grow, he was like, Fred, if you ever get in that situation and you have to choose between bringing in partners or taking the bank's money, don't ever take the bank's money. Wow. There are always uh, caveats to it. Yeah. You never want to do it. Don't do it. So wow. fast forward now, this is right. He gave me that, that wisdom. I maybe 15 years after he'd gone through that, I was in the same position where there were equity investors coming to me and saying, hey, listen, we got a ton of money that we want to give you. Um, and uh, there was the bank that was saying, hey, listen, well, we want to lend you this money to kind of go forward. And I was inclined, just like he was, to take the bank's money, to still maintain 100% control of the company, sure. to not have any um, 
not have any partners and to take the bank's money. And I remembered at the time that he told me this. And I mean, I, I, you know, I had people in the company that were saying, you should do it, right? We had advisors that were telling us we should do it. We're getting really great, great rates with the bank. This is a no brainer. You should obviously do this. And I remember the, I remember the advice that he gave me at the time. And so I called him, I actually called him up. This is years later. And I was yeah. like, you know, we're, I'm in this situation. He was like, don't even say anything more. Do not take that money from the bank. I'm telling you, don't do it. Wow. So even wow. over the advice of, you know, trusted advisors, sure. lawyers, everybody, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go on this guy. I respect him. I know all the great things that he's done. I am going to just, for no other reason other than that this person said it, yeah. even though it goes against even my thinking, I'm just going to take his word for it and I'm going to say no. And eventually I said no to the bank. Um, at the time I also said no to the, to the equity partners and okay. just said no to everybody. Okay. One of our biggest competitors at the time was in the same position and they took the money from the bank. So obviously at the time I'm like, wow, now this, you know, our big, our biggest, one of our biggest competitors now has, you know, an extra, yeah. you know, I think it was 11, $12 million more than us. They're going to be able to grow. I was like, oh my God, maybe I made the wrong choice. It was, the, and it was the same bank that was going to give us the money, oh, right? Wow. So it was like, I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, they just literally, they were like, oh yeah, you don't want to take it? Okay, great. <laughs> we'll go to your, <laughs> right. So I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I don't know what, you know, what, what I did. It was the wrong move, blah, blah. It turns out that my friend who gave me the advice was absolutely right. Wow. I shouldn't have taken the money. And my competitor who took that money ended up losing their business over it in the same way as my buddy did. Wow. So they, they say so, lessons are, those hard lessons are had, you have them not for your benefit, but for someone else's. So that saved you. Right. And you know, sometimes there are people out there, especially if you respect them and they're telling you something and they're like, yes. you know, you think at the time that you, you figure everything out, you can, you know, you know it, you can guard against these risks. This would never happen to you. Sometimes you're just better off listening to people that have been down that road. Yes. Yes. Even if it doesn't make sense to you why you're listening to them, it doesn't make sense. But if you trust them and you believe in them, and they're That's very, right. very certain in it, That's right. sometimes you just got to listen. And it paid off because you are still winning and someone else did not. So good call. <laughs> we're, we're still here and we're doing very well. <laughs> you're doing extremely well. What is next for you, by the way? What uh, what new venture, what new project, uh, what are we going to be expecting? Um, so as far as going on in the future, I think what we're really trying to do is continue on this journey that we've started, okay. right? Like we, you know, when we started 15 years ago, internet people were just starting to kind of get onto smartphones you know um a large number of our readers still had dial-up access to the internet right? oh goodness and now think about where we are now 15 years later right so yeah. the industries have completely changed right like the introduction of social media there's all an entirely new industry that's there and so everything that you have just to kind of tread water you have to spend every year you have to spend even more energy to kind of continue on, right? Because it's, it's every year you have to get better, right? So the year one, it's, it compounds how much energy you actually have to put in to maintain where you are and to continue to grow. And so, you know, so in some part, if you say, you know, well, we're just going to continue to do what we're doing right now. 
that might sound like, okay, you were just sitting around, but it really isn't. It really, there's an incredible amount of innovation that takes place just to maintain where you are, just to maintain a relatively, you know, reasonable rate of growth for the company. So that's the idea. The idea is to sit down and wake up every morning to think about the people that read media takeout and think about how we can make their lives better. And that's exactly what we do. That's exactly what I wake up every morning and show up to the office and do. Um, and that's what we're going to continue to do. Now, as far as personally, I mean, I've been around now for 15 years <laughs> in the industry. Uh -huh. um, and I have a lot of industry knowledge. And, you know, a lot of times when I think about kind of my entrepreneurial journey, right, in 2004 or 2003 when I started with my first business, I think about it right now, I think about how... I just didn't have that many people to give me real information about what it's like to start a business, um, the problems that you're going to have, particularly problems, you know, which are different, you know, there are particular problems that women businesses face. And, you know, a lot of those I don't understand, but there are particular um, um, challenges that an African-American um, or a minority would face when they're starting a business that I think is different. So, you know, while I can read Sam Walton's book, or read Tom DeVanderbilt's book, you know, they didn't have to deal with the black issue, right? These are... The additional layer. So, yeah, it's an additional layer. It just changes things. It just changes your perspective on a lot of different yeah. things. And so what I'd like to do, I just like to just give as much information as I can yeah. to young African-American and uh, young women uh, that are looking to start a business and don't really know, maybe they don't even know anyone that's really started a business, mm -hmm. been particularly successful, or they don't know where to start, um, and just give them as much real information that I can get. I mean, when, you know, when I started my business, I'd, I'd go down to the bookstore yeah. or to Amazon and just order a whole bunch of books, and people were telling you all these different things, and a lot of times the people that are writing the book never ran a successful business in their life. The most <laughs> successful business that they've ever ran <laughs> is... Selling you advice on how to start a business. That's right. that's the only successful business. Good point. And that's ninety nine percent of the business books that are out there. So how do you know? If I can tell you how to do it. So how, as a young entrepreneur, are you able to even distinguish whether or not the advice is good or not? It sounds all sounds good, right? Like right. they figure it out. They figure out a way to put it out. It doesn't mean that it's good advice, but it sounds good. It looks good. It reads yeah. good, right? And so a lot of times you're fo you're following this stuff. And it's just not good, not good advice. And a lot of times the people that are out there that actually do have this advice, maybe they're too busy to share it for you, to share the information with you. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they don't want to necessarily share it, right? And maybe they're like, well, you know, I got to hold on to this knowledge right yeah, now because it's going to help me in my next business, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, I think I'm at the point right now in my career where I'm not necessarily worried about hoarding this knowledge. You know, it's, it's, it's out there. Um, it's just going to take a long time to look at it. So I'm, I'm hoping over the next couple of years to just kind of put my story out there and to give as much business advice as I can to young African-American entrepreneurs. You absolutely positively should. I know so many young people who could sign up for a workshop, seminar, come to your class. If you're going to be a professor, let us know, tell us so we can share it with other people because that's a valuable asset and not enough young black entrepreneurs or would-be entrepreneurs have that when they're starting out, especially like in high school, you know, college, even sooner and earlier than that. It's, it's so vital. So please, Fred, do that. Promise? 
I yeah, that that's my that's that is my plan to kind of do it. And I'm not doing this as a as an endeavor to make money or anything like that. It yeah. truly is my way of giving back because I've gotten, like I said, some of the, the knowledge that I've gotten, some of the great knowledge, some of the great yeah. advice from people that really had no reason to give it to me, and yeah. you know, I became friends with them, and I, they happened to come into my life. God put them in my life. But that doesn't, that's not necessarily the case for a lot of other people, right? right? For, for whatever reason. I mean, a lot of times it was an accident, right? Like the, the way I met this person was an accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that accident didn't happen to you, maybe you wouldn't have gotten this advice. So the hope is that, you know, in time, everyone, you know, there'll be 50 friends out there <laughs> talking about it Absolutely. and telling all this stuff. Saturate the market with knowledge, you know? Yeah. We could do that's worse. right. That's right. We could do worse. This has been so good. Is there anything else, Fred, that we didn't touch on that you think would be relevant, helpful, inspiring that you'd like to share? No, I think I think we got to, to most of the stuff I wanted to touch on. Yeah, this has been so inspiring. Um, thank you so much. Um, check out mtonews.com. Follow Fred and his team of writers and their coverage of all things celebrity, all things Hollywood, all things that you need to know about what you're doing and what you can do. It's really really well done. And I want to thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we will be following you. So please keep up the good work. Thank you so much to our guest, Fred Mwangahunga today for his exceptional insight, advice, and tips for making your business a reality in 2021. Please listen and follow us on Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, and also follow MTO News to see what Fred and his team are finding and reporting. It is the Black TMZ, as they say, and they are doing an exceptional job of telling our stories like no other. Thank you to our guests. Please take your business, make it a reality today. I am your host, Nikita Faustin, for Pivotal Moment. We will talk to you next time.